0: today is maybe a little bit more of a serious one just because it's a difficult question. (laughs) And I would love for us, I feel like we at New Hope are very much asking this sort of a question, and it's come up so many times this past week that I felt like, well, this is really a question that's on our minds, and it plays into things like a serve home that Kayla was talking about, plays into things like missional communities, it plays into being Christian and what does church really mean? But in our our group of guys who gets together at Missional Community Meets at Bob Wells' house on Thursday nights, we were talking about the uh, proliferation of uh, marijuana dispensaries and just that becoming more and more common and what does that mean for society and culture and what are the implications. We're just kind of like this open conversation and we started thinking about it from the perspective of some people just wanting to escape. <laughs> just, we need something to like numb us a little bit because life is a little too raw right now. Um, but also the the concept of it of being just very normalized in our society. So being on some substance that's kind of helping you to relax and helping you to be numb to the world around you, not having any sort of stigma. What are the implications of that for how we view culture, how we interact with people. So you may have thoughts of your own, but it raised the question, what are we supposed to do about that? Are we supposed to get on board with that? Are we supposed to boycott that? Are we supposed to dabble in that? Are we supposed to be outspoken advocates against it? Are we supposed to just protect our own family and say, well, that's not for us? Like, but the real question is, what are we supposed to do about it? And then the week progressed, and there were, it was another mass shooting. And it's like, all right, well, we need to pray for the families of these victims. We need to pray for our country. And it brings into all the topics of the day of guns and violence and stress and racism and all these things. I'm like, oh, God, man, what are we supposed to do about it? And then you instantly feel like, well, there's nothing we can do about it, right? That's the first gut reaction. Like, what am I going to do about it? I don't live near this shooting. I'm not involved in this thing. And so, like, but then you start to feel like, well, I'm not sure that that's sufficient to just say, I'm not in that. So sort of like, pass. When something hits close to home for me, then I'll act. That doesn't necessarily feel right either. And so that's the real question we have groups of people that are meeting in homes call ourselves missional communities what are you supposed to do about the world what's your responsibility we're all individual christians with a personal relationship with god we talk to god on a daily basis we say "God, what do you want me to do what's your calling what's he tugging on your heart and say do this teens children like what's your responsibility for the world that you're growing up into What are you supposed to do about it? Well, we need to take our lead from Christ, right? That's the very first place to start because he was no stranger to living in a world that was chaotic, a world that had violence, which was rampant. He was crucified on a cross, on a hill that was designated for crucifixions. It was like the place that you murder people and it was right outside Jerusalem. There's no stranger to violence, no stranger to politics, No stranger to religion and the good parts of it and the bad parts of it and times when it's earnest and times when it's political in its own way, right? So Jesus has a lot to say about it. He lived a life to show us an example of what to do, but I want us to ask the question. I would love, in our mission, to just be asking those questions. What do we think about the condition of the world around us and what are we going to do about it? And so... I would like to suggest from Scripture, because that's our source of inspiration, it's our source of authority, it's our source of information, truth, we go here. Because if I were to ask that question, what do we have, maybe like 60 people here or so, 70 maybe? How many different opinions do you think we would have among us, 70 people, on what should be done about all this? Seven. Or 300? Right, instantly, we all could rattle off because we have things that are close to us. We've had family members, been impacted. There are certain things that are very important to us, right? So no problem with our opinions. We can create those quick. But then after a while, you talk about something so long, and isn't there that kind of like, I'm tired of just talking about this anymore? I haven't yet gotten to the doing. what's the golden rule? (laughs) Talk about others the way that you would want them to talk. No, no, do, do do. And so we get caught in talking because we feel helpless. And I would like to suggest that Jesus has a very strategic plan for what doing looks like. And instead of trying to fix the world at once, his plan is you start small, you start local, you start with who you are, and you start with who's next to you. And if it's genuine, if there's a God thing that's happening in a small place, It's like the ripple effect. It's like when things go viral, when there's something really authentically beautiful, it spreads. And so there's three scriptures, like I said, that I'd like to look at for our source of truth. I don't want to give my opinions. My opinions are irrelevant. Your opinions are irrelevant. Sorry about that. Truth is what we're seeking for. And anywhere our opinions line up with truth, then okay, our opinions have gained some substance, but not because they're just a thought that came into our head because they're based in something that we can all go to and say, what are God's thoughts on the matter? So, please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. And let's just take the first of these three thoughts. I'm going to be borrowing this phrase from this last year. We've heard this a million times. We've heard this phrase, opting out of things when it comes to athletes opting out of their seasons, right? Like, I don't think it's safe for me to be in the season, so I'm going to opt out. And they've been given grace, given permission to not participate in their sport. Uh, We've had teachers. We've had business people. We've had employees. Like, I need to opt out because I don't feel safe. If I put myself in that environment, I feel at risk. Christians, you should feel at risk in this world, (laughs) not because you can be lost, but because it's a messy place, and if we don't have our eyes open, it'll make a mess of us as well. We should be opting out of certain things and opting into other things. So like I said, Jesus has some very specific advice on this, and Luke chapter 14, you probably beat me there. I'm doing too much talking, not enough doing. Luke 14:25. So let's just hear Jesus' own words. Luke 14:25. Now great crowds accompanied him, Jesus, and he turned and he said to them, "If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." So is Jesus advocating murder or suicide or never speaking to anyone again? That's not how he lived his life. He's making a point It's called hyperbole. He's making an exaggerated point to make it clear, and he'll explain a little bit more. He goes on, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able to come against him with 20,000, oh, with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple." If by this Jesus meant that all of his followers were to cut ties from their lives completely and like set up a commune where there was just believers of Jesus and they didn't have any contact with the world and they were to cut themselves off from parents and in-laws or whatever, if he had meant that, he would have done that. That's clearly not what he meant because that's not what he did. What he meant is the culture that you've grown up in, you need to become a stranger to. You need to opt out of that. And there are ways that your parents talk to you that when you find yourself repeating that, you need to opt out, because that's not your culture. That's not your homeland. That's not the kingdom you're a part of. Opt out of those things that are of this world, but still live in the world, but live, as we've said, as kind of a stranger alongside. What sorts of things have we grown up with that we need to opt out of? Just because it's how we've always done or just because that's how we were raised doesn't make things right. Sometimes we're just living like everyone else. And Jesus said, you need to be willing to cut ties so far as to do things God's way whenever it's not the way the world is doing. You need to opt out. And so he gives perspective, right? He does a lot of teaching on what is God's way, what's not God's way. And when we start to see the difference, we start to feel a little conflicted about how we're acting or how we're speaking or what we're doing. God gives us, Jesus gives us permission to opt out opt out. But it's not to, like, become a free agent. It's to opt in to the way God does things. What sort of culture are we developing in our homes? He says, follow me. The first thing that we need to say, what are we supposed to do, is we are supposed to, for ourselves, be stepping out and being different. This is what the word holy means, being different. If we look at things we think are in the world, stop right there, and examine the log that most likely is our eye, and say, in what ways do I do those same things? Because the scripture isn't meant to be a hammer just to beat others with. It's meant to be a mirror that you hold up and you see your own reflection. That's what truth is for. It's for us. It's for you. And when you start to use truth on someone else, but they don't have God's help understanding, it's like foolishness. Like, why are you quoting this Bible to me? Who is this Jesus? Who is this God? It's not for a non-believer in so much as they can't understand it. What people who don't know about God need to know is he loves them and he's willing to forgive them of their sins if they'll opt out of the life they've been living and opt into his kingdom, a new culture, a new way of thinking. Once we do that, once we say, yes, I want to opt out of that, then all of a sudden the word's like, oh, well, this is how I get to do it. I want that. And we can start to become like what we see in Scripture. So the first thing Jesus would say to us, what are we supposed to do, is look at ourselves If we're the ones perpetuating hate, then don't worry about fixing everybody else. We love to point out all the things and it's even easier to see the things in others that actually we have the same problem with. Let's just start at home, start in our hearts and say, I want to opt out of that. Every time we see another shooting, be like, God, please forgive me for the times where anger gets the best of me. Forgive me for the times I've hated because I know in your eyes, Jesus, hate is the same as murder. Forgive me for the times where I haven't stood up and protected someone who's vulnerable defenseless Instead of just hoping to go and change the whole world and stop everyone who's doing violence, let's start, come and follow me, pick up our own cross. Let's be honest and let's be introspective and say, what's wrong in my heart? And let's flesh that out because I want to opt out of hatred. I want to opt out of violence. I want to opt out of racism. And you know, if enough people just opt out of it themselves, you start to create this alternative culture, and then people who are caught up in these things in the world they know isn't good, but they don't know anything different have some sort of example to say, oh, it could look like that. Did you see how that person treated that other person? That blew my mind. I don't know if I ever could have done that. It's something different. It's holiness, something holy, something set apart, and that takes us to our second scripture. For this, we're going to Paul. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and this gets to kind of what I was hinting at a little bit earlier. First thing is we need to opt out, but after and as we're opting out, we need to not just talk about a different kingdom, talk about a world where there isn't such thing as mass shootings, talk about a kingdom of God where there isn't such thing as difference between genders and races, that's just not how God sees his people, where all he sees is forgiven beloved children and lost dying Children, He wants to bring them and make them become part of the family, adopt into the family of God. So we need to see it from God's perspective. But and when we opt out, we demonstrate. And that's the second word. If the first word is going to be uh, you know, opting out of culture, the second thought needs to be we have to put on a demonstration. That's not a demonstration of ourselves. Hey, look how good we are. It's like, this is actually what God says, and we would like to demonstrate, just almost as if it's like a science experiment. When you put this and this and this together, look what happens. Would you like to see this demonstration? When someone hates someone and someone loves them in return, this demonstrates, actually, there's something very phenomenal that you wouldn't expect would happen. You'd expect that when someone hates someone and they hate them back that they've gotten even, but do you actually see in this experiment what happens here? This bubbles over, but you see when this happens in this demonstration of God's way? We demonstrate. And demonstrate isn't just talking. Demonstrate isn't discussing, talking about how this experiment might work, or it's showing it, putting on a demonstration for the world. If we're going to opt out, let's put on a demonstration of what it could like if we create little pockets of loving places, missional communities, if we can create cultures within our home walls, that there's something different, and someone comes in and sits in that pocket with you, they're like, well, there's an alternative to the way I see everybody else trying it. It's not because these are perfect people here, but look at the ingredients they're putting together. There's a demonstration happening here that's going beyond just talk. There's so much talk right now. It makes me even want to just not talk, but you can't not say the truth. You got you to put in a good word for God. It's not better to just be silent, but let's accompany a few words of truth with many, many demonstrations of what it looks like to love one another, of what it looks like to be sacrificial for one another, of what it looks like to love the Father. To have a place of joy in a world of depression. Oh man, give me that. Give me that alternative. I want to opt into that because I want to opt out. So we have an entire world that hates the, the thing they're in. Can we put on a demonstration of what God does with crazy, flawed people like us and say God's good? That's what we see here with Paul. He wasn't looking to just talk. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. I, Christians, church in Corinth, Paul is saying he's writing this letter to people, Uh, of a church that he planted. Paul, uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians 2, 1. When I came to you, my brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom, right? He wasn't a show-off. He wasn't trying to show how intelligent he was. He wasn't trying to be wordy. He said, I decided actually to know nothing. It's not going to be about my intelligence as I planted the church among you. I know that's not what you need, he's saying. I didn't come to convince you. I didn't come to debate. I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. So I decided that the best way I could convince you that God loves you is if you saw me as a weak, humble person, that only by the grace of God could anything good have happened. And guess what? (laughs) That worked, didn't it? You're a church. I'm writing to you again. It was better that we just demonstrated humility than talking a good talk, but not having it turn into any action. So verse 4, 1 Corinthians 2, 4. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If any of us here have had those experiences in our lives that we can't explain away, it was just a special moment with God, like... He just did that. He showed up at exactly the right time. to. No one can take away that experience from you. But guess what? When someone convinces you of something, an equally intelligent person with a different opinion might be able to convince you something different. If they introduce new facts or present it a different way, the mind is tricky that way. Knowledge is tricky that way. We change our opinions all the time. We get new information. We're like, oh, I didn't know that. Well, now this. But when something happens that you can't explain like, I, I was on death's door, and now I'm here. I don't know why. I should have had all these things ruin my life, and somehow God preserved me. At exactly the right moment, when I was at my weakest. This thing happened. Praise God. The demonstration of what God will do in a life, that's an alternative that someone would want to opt into. And that's something for yourself that I hope each of us have had that experience. If you haven't, come talk to me. Let's pray for it. Let's ask God for it. And if you've had some, pray for more. Pray for those God moments. We need those. Life is hard and we still live in this world even though we're trying to opt out of it. So opting out is the first thing. We're following Jesus. There's this like, I don't want that, but you've got to go to something. So let's get to kind of the the science table here with the beakers and the test tubes and the bubbling liquids. Let's put on a demonstration. This is what Matthew records Jesus saying. You're like a city on a hill, a a lamp, you know, let your good deeds so shine before men so that they glorify your God in heaven. We always wonder, how do I like, do good stuff without getting credit for it? Because I'm not trying to show off and be like, hey, guess what I did? I did a missional thing the other day, aren't I cool? Or like, we, we don't want that. But when we're doing deeds and we're trying to like, keep credit to God where it's deserved, think about it from the concept of a demonstration. I would really, really, really love to show you what God does when he shows up in a moment. Could, could we come and love you in this way? I would really, really, really love for you to see what it feels like to have unconditional love. Can, can we collect, you know, a hundred little cards and tokens and gifts and send them to someone just because it's undeserved favor? Like all of a sudden now, you're not trying to be good or do good. It's not about credit. It's like a demonstration. You're clearly not demonstrating on yourself. You're doing something with the ingredients that God gives so that takes us to the third part. So stay in 1 Corinthians and move to chapter 13 with me, please. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If the demonstration of opting out is what we need to do, if the demonstration is what we're trying to do, then let me kind of call us all back to why we do it, our motivation. There's lots of reasons why someone might do something good, might look good, might act good, do the right thing. There's lots of motivations for that. But what we want is to be made good and to become good and to see a good God at work. Before we read this, think with me about three different people and why they would do what they would do. These people live in the world like we live in the world, asking how do I do the right thing. But in their own different settings, let's look at their motivations. So the first one is a wife of a husband who has an anger problem. And so this wife always kind of walks on pins and needles, right? Picture this scenario with me. And when husband comes home, trying to make sure everything around the house like looks right. And when she speaks, she tries to say the right things because she doesn't want to offend, doesn't want to cause problems, doesn't want to create an eruption of anger. This wife works really, really hard to create a harmonious household, to raise the children, to behave well. But she's motivated by fear. She's doing all the right things. Her house looks good to everybody from the outside. It's so being a good mom and a good wife, but it's not because of love. It's because of fear. How many Christians do the same sort of thing? Oh, what will God, think. Oh, i got to pray. I feel so guilty for these things that I've done that I've said. Like, I haven't prayed in days and I haven't been reading my Bible. I know I've got to get to church more and I know I've got to do these things. And, and God is this like scary God figure, which is not the God that we see in Scripture. We have a pure God. We don't have a an angry God looking to, like, inflict vengeance. We have a God who's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. But he is just, so eventually we'll see him face to face, and that justice will be complete and utter. But he's not looking for who to get. He's offering a plan for redemption. He's offering a way out every step of the way. So let us not be people who live in the world out of a sense of fear. This world's a really, really bad place. Let's, uh, let's make sure we get better security systems in our homes, and let's not go to certain places that we've gone to before, and let's make sure our kids know that they're not supposed to say certain things or go in certain places. Like, we can lock down and maybe look good from the outside and maybe even avoid some bad things that might have happened, but that doesn't look like Jesus to me, and that's not going to change the world. So we've opted out into a fear bubble, and we just stay there. No. What about the second one? Picture a, uh, a teenager, a student going through high school, a student athlete, they're in sports, they're getting great grades, excel at everything. People look at this child and be like, man, they are just going to be an amazing adult. Look at the grades they get. Look at how they're excelling. They, they, it almost feels like effortless. Just everything is coming so easy to them. But if you ask that particular child, he or she answers, now you say, do you, do you love your sport? I'm like, eh, no, I don't know if I love it. I'm just good at it. Okay. Do you love the things you're learning at school? while wow, you do so well. It's like, no, it just comes easy to me. I just love the challenge. I want to get an A. I love getting an A. I love scoring a goal. I love achieving. I love the challenge of it. But I don't really care about the sport that I play. I could play anything. I don't care about school. What's going to happen to that child as they grow older and they achieve one challenge? It's like, oh, got that, and then move on to the next one. Oh, got that, and then got the next one, and the world keeps giving them more and more challenges. Have you gotten married yet? Have you gotten a house yet? Have you had kids yet? Have you gotten a promotion yet? Have you gotten money in the bank yet? More and more challenges. Like, oh, I got that, I got that, I got that. Will they actually love their life along the way? Maybe, maybe not. Even if they excel in it, is that what Jesus is calling us to? This obedience with no heart? This empty shell of a person who does all the right things but has no love? And what happens when you achieve everything you've gotten? You get to the end of a life and you're like, well, I, I did it all, I guess. What did we achieve at the expense of others? Was it worth it? And what happens to that person who's so used to achieving and winning when they fail? What happens if they lose the use of limbs or hands or feet and can't do their sport? What happens if they have you know, a, a head injury and can't do the grades the way they used to? Was their entire identity in just achieving and being successful or was it in knowing that they're loved and they're worthy regardless of the grades they get and whether they do great or small things? They're God's child. So that person can look like they have it all together, can look really good, do all the right things, but they're going to live a life of just being told what the next challenge is, living for whoever puts the carrot in front of them. And at the end of it, what will they have gotten? Gain the whole world but lose their soul. We do this in faith all the time. Oh, I could be saved? Great, I was saved. Well, now what? I kind of did that. Like, okay, learn what's in the Bible? Okay, yeah, I'm going to learn what's in the Bible. I kind of read a bunch of stuff in the Bible. I, I got that, like, I'm challenge, what's the, what's the next challenge? It's like, oh, okay, be baptized? Okay, I can go, be baptized. Well, I did that. Okay. Raise my kids to know about God. Okay, yeah, well, I got them in Sunday school, and we, we pray together, whatever. We could live our lives with these progressive challenges But are we loving our life along the way? Are we actually living in relationship with God? God will be fine with two challenges, one over the course of a life, or 2,000 challenges, one over the way. But what did we walk with him like? He's looking for a relationship, not a bunch of achievers. He just wants us to be with him. Mary and Martha, right? (laughs) Mary has chosen what's better, to be with Jesus. So would that person love their life, or would they just sort of feel a sense of accomplishment or failure? What's God looking for? And you bring us to the third person, third scenario, and that brings us, we'll read 1 Corinthians 13 in just a minute and hopefully apply this to us right now. Just think of a parent who's just had a child, and they hold that baby. And the exhaustion of the mother carrying that baby for all those months, it's payoff time. There's an actual baby, not inside anymore. (laughs) We made it to this time. And all that pain and discomfort and sleepless nights, just, oh, look what God did. Look at the miracle. And as the baby gets older, there's daily, hourly jobs and work and sleepless nights. And you think, well, it's worth it. Look at this life that God gave, look at this miracle. There's money that we would spend to help feed and provide for this child and and advice that we give along the way to try to hopefully steer them in a way that will honor God and, and agony that we feel when they have their failures or mistakes or problems and joys. Like, all of this in it, that's quite a lot of work. But it's worth it because we recognize this is a gift from God. I can gladly do those things that need to be done if The reward is to be able to have this precious thing in the world and in my life. What if our faith looked like that? I would gladly do anything for God. I don't care if it's paint a house or dig a hole or preach a sermon or take a nap, whatever. Tell me to do whatever and I'll do whatever. Because he's given such a precious thing. And it doesn't matter what the jobs are. They'll sort of show up as you go. You don't know what needs your child's going to have, but the life itself is so precious. We just love it. We're just going to love and we're going to sacrificially give because we love that life. What if our faith like like that, we just love God? Like God's done so much for us, we just want to love him. What if we fixed our eyes on him instead of on all these things that we're doing? You know, we're particularly vulnerable to the doing errors because we're trying to be missional, which is a doing-ish sort of thing. Let's be particularly wise to make sure that we're loving each other well. And if we get an opportunity to love someone, let's go for it. But let's not go through all the motions because we're afraid of, well, what if I don't do that next missional thing? Oh, Pastor is going to be mad if I don't show up for a missional community. Or well, what if I don't do this? People are going to think I'm not doing it. Like, are you fear-based? Is that how you're going to make a difference in the world? You're going to opt out of a crazy, fearful world and then become a fearful Christian? That's lose-lose. That's frying pan into the fire. There's no gain there. God's the one doing the work. We're just giddy that he gave us a baby. We're watching that thing grow, and we want to be involved in it any way we can. We want to kiss that child and hold that child because it's love-based, and the work is just part of an amazing gift. And let's not be the one where he said, oh, we got a challenge. Okay, we can do this. Sure, we can feed the homeless. Sure, we can paint a house. Sure, we can do this. We're like, but Of course you can, but does God need your help for anything? Does he need my help for anything? No. He desires our participation. He longs for us to be what he's made us to be so that he can use us all together and fit us into this body so that he can accomplish great things in this world, with or without us. But let's be with him. So it comes down to love. It comes down to love. How are we going to make a difference in the world? It's going to be by saying, I'm going to opt out of that. I want to put on a demonstration here of how much God loves you because I love God so much. I want to hear us talking about how much we love God, not just how much we're doing. I want to hear us talking about how good God is, because he's given us this grace, this gift. Why do we deserve to be forgiven? We don't. That's the baby. That's the beautiful life. It's our new life. It's growing. He's given it to us, and we'll spend the rest of our life just caring for it and helping it to grow and mature in him. But it's got to be based in love. And the one thing our world doesn't understand is how to do things from a perspective of love with no ulterior motives, no selfish motivation, no looking for anything that we're going to get out of it, but just because God is good. And I guarantee if we can create homes like that, where we are loving, do you wake up in the morning loving being a parent, a child, a sibling, loving being in your house? Or is it a duty, an obligation, or I know I got it, I better do those dishes or someone's going to be mad. Oh, I promised I'd mow the lawn. Are we just obligations or is like, ah, I get to mold that lawn out of love. I get to raise that child because I love that child. I get to go to my job. Do you love going to your job? Do you go to your job out of a sense of love or out of a sense of, what's oh, a challenge? Yeah, let's see if I can do it. I bet I could get that promotion. And what's going to make the most difference in the world? If you're a fearful person, fearful in faith, joining a fearful world, or if you're a competitive person, joining a competitive world, or if you've opted out of those things and say, I'm looking to love God in this environment. And I bet everyone around me is going to want some of that too. Let's put on a little demonstration. And all those who have a heart for something different than what they see will be like, that was cool. Because God's good. And it's not about us. It's just about Him. So 1 Corinthians 13 just simply says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to move mountains but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing because love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes in all things. Love hopes all things, and it endures all things. Love never ends." as for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for speaking in tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away because now we only know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. He says, it's like when I was a child, I spoke like a child and I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. Now we see as in a mirror very dimly. But then we shall see face to face. Now I only know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love remain, these three. But the greatest of these is love. We've talked about wanting to come back different. We've talked about wanting something new in our lives. We've talked about and recognized that's going to need some crucifying and killing off of things in our lives to free us up to grow But why? Why? Because you love the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. That's why. And if we don't get the why right, all this stopping of stuff is going to be going through motions and all the change is going to be temporary. We're not looking for temporary faith. We're not looking for a temporary change. That's what our world does. Fickle, right? One day it's this, next day it's that. Or we're going to do this. And then we quit the next day and we turn. It's how we treat everything from commitments to contracts to marriages to jobs, how owners treat employees, how employees treat. Like everything in our culture is just like for a little bit and then we move on. I would like to opt out of that. I would like to remain married to my wife for our entire lives. I would like to love our kids and raise them for ever I would like to stay with God and have him with me to my dying breath not because if I don't then bad stuff's going to happen to me so I better be a good person and, and not because it it's a challenge I could I could do that let's let's try. no because God is good and I want to love him and then anything else that happens along the way we're just caring for that beautiful baby that he's given to us the new life So I challenge you, I beg you, please, if we want to be something different, don't just focus on what we're going to change, what we're going to get rid of, how we're going to stop. You know, I'm going to do a lot less drinking now. I'm going to really watch what I talk about. I'm not going to hang around with those friends. I'm just going to, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to like, okay, okay. But if it's out of a sense of obligation, that will not last. And if it's out of a sense of like social pressure, like, oh, I know I really better be doing these things, but it's not from your heart. It will not last. And I want you to last. I want durable Christians. I want you to last. No planned obsolescence. I want you to last. I want us to last forever. And the only way it's going to happen is if we really, 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 really love God. And we'd be happy to get rid of something in our life that's like not what he wants because we just love him so much. And we'd be happy to shoot for this goal and achieve this challenge if that's what he wants because we just love him so much. And we'd be happy to forgive someone anything because we just, we just love him so much. And we'd be happy to sing and dance and have joy because we just love God so much. Not because someone in a pulpit once said, like, make sure you're joyful people. So we're kind of like, yay, Christians, this is great. And the world looks at us and says, hypocrite. We're like, no, we're not a hypocrite. But then we only last a couple of years and we fail because it wasn't authentic. And like, I guess we were a hypocrite. We don't want that. I know none of you want that. I don't want that. So we'll just get back to our first love. I'm just reminding us all we already know it's all about the love. It's all about the heart as a motivation for why we do anything. And then the change will be permanent transformation instead of just a New Year's resolution. We don't want that. We don't want that. So let's take a minute. Let's pray together. Let me pray for you. Music team, come forward. We're going to close with a song. Let's just pray for Father God's love to be poured into us in such a way like we've never felt before so that we can opt out of the things like fear and obligation and False religion and hypocrisy. Just opt out of those things. None of us want them. And opt into creating a culture based on Christ's love. Following Him wherever He leads us. Let's pray and ask God for that together. Father God, you're good and you're glorious. And you're powerful and you're beautiful. You are amazing. You're seemingly both premeditated and spontaneous. You're both joyful and serious. Uh, you're both big picture and smallest detail you're creative you're creator you're a recreator you recreate you're a resuscitator a redeemer a savior a deliverer a transformer you take us from where we were born and bring us into your family and make us your own as your little kids father please Extend to us your mercy and your grace another day. Allow us to grow up to look more like you every day. Allow us to put the obligation to love you to the side and just actually love you. Let us be amazed by you. Give us so many coincidences that aren't coincidences at all that we can't even count them. Give us so many opportunities to love each other and have joy in it that we can't even count them. And may it be a demonstration of your love and your spirit power not our clever words or our promises or our temporary intentions. Make us durable Christians. Father, hang on to us. Don't lose one of those whom you've given to your son. And we know you will. And we thank you for it in advance. And we pray that you would just remind us of this when we need it most. Help our hearts to be right. Give us more love for you today than we had yesterday and more tomorrow than we have today. And we pray it in Jesus' name.